0: these people, Ricky, you're a winner. You got the gift. Always remember, if you ain't first, you're last. If you ain't first, you're last. See you when you're grown up. Dad, come back! The driver who wants to win more than this guy. I can get used to this winning thing! Dick <laughs> <Woo! laughs> <Woo! laughs> oh, Bergman in me. Las Vegas, victory lane for Fox Television. Ricky <laughs> Bobby, today's big winner, a heck of a win for you today, but it seems as if you either win or crash the car trying to win. Well, Dick, here's the deal. I'm the best there is. There's a big hairy American winning machine. If you ain't first, you're last. A Dad, why are you doing this? Applebee's has rats. I found a whole rat in my cob salad. Dad, where are you going? Come on, frat boy, you wanna go? What's going on, man? Oh, Ricky, let him go! Hey, all those races I won! That was for you, you know that? I did just like you told me. If you ain't first, you're last. What are you talking about? Well, you told me that day at school for career day came in and you said, if you ain't first, you're last. Ricky, I was high when I said that. But I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. If you're first, you're last. You, you can be second, you can be third, fourth. What are you talking about? I, I live my whole life based on that. Well, now what the what am I supposed to do? What the am I supposed to do? <laughs> Isn't that a great question? Uh, what do you do when you don't know? what to do that's the question that ricky bobby is really asking there that's the series that we're in right now what do you do when you don't know what to do my name is danny i'm the campus minister here at lutheran church pope ames which means i get to hang out at kairos also want to say hi to those of you in iowa city who are packing out that room um, in uh, in the beautiful land that is iowa city uh if we could all turn to that camera or that camera and say hi iowa city that would be awesome. Say it one, two, three. Hi, Hi, Iowa City. It's so good that we can join together through technology. Um, and, uh, and we love you, Iowa City. I'm trusting that you're saying it back. So, all right, well, hey, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Ricky Bobby is a NASCAR driver who has based his entire life off of a lie that his dad told him when he was a child. If you ain't first, you're last. And so he is driven to restlessness. He is driven to drive so fast that if he's not going to win, he will crash his car in the effort to do so. And then he finds out that it was all a lie. And what does he do then? Kind of the the plot of that story is Ricky Bobby is this great successful race car driver. Then through a series of uh, wild events uh, where he thinks he's on fire, crazy movie. Take a look at it. Um, He... uh, He loses his ability to drive fast. And you think, okay, well, maybe that got him to the place where he could finally rest. But it just makes him even more restless. He can't chill out. He has to drive fast. He has to win. Because if he wins, he believes then maybe, just maybe, I'll earn my dad's love. And, of course, by the end of the movie, he finds out that was never going to earn him his dad's love. And he is driven now into a state of incredible restlessness. The Bible tells us when you don't know what to do, you have to rest. This comes from the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Chapter 2 is the second chapter of the Bible. And it says this in Genesis chapter 2, God has created the world. It says God made stuff. He says it's good. God made stuff. He says it's good. God made stuff. He says it's good. So on and so on. Then at the very end, it says this, and God blessed the seventh day. And declared it holy. Why is it holy? Why is it something special? Because this is the day that he rested. It's interesting, throughout the entire chapter of chapter 1 in Genesis, God's making things, and it's put into this pattern as if God's making a house. He's constructing something for people to live in. Home isn't made to be absent. And when God finishes, he rests. In the context of the Hebrew that's found in the Bible there is God is saying this as if I'm resting and I'm moving in. We're roommates, God's saying. Isn't that cool? God's like, I intend for us to be so comfortable with one another that we would rest with one another, that we would be roommates now, some of you are like, I do not feel comfortable around my roommate at all. My roommate is the one who, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I go to the refrigerator and I close it. And they're standing there in their underpants saying, hey, I was wondering when you were going to wake up. Like, I don't feel comfortable. Now, God, God's the roommate that you really like. God, God is like family. God says, I want to have that kind of relationship with you. Like I want to share a home with you, a home where we can rest, a home where you can have peace. Look, when you don't know what to do, you go home. And home is the place where you rest. What to do? Question mark? Rest. That's what we're talking about tonight. If we could go to the next slide. It's hard to rest, isn't it? It's hard to get to that place. Because sometimes restlessness attacks aggressively. Restlessness is this condition, not necessarily a medical condition, but restlessness is this condition where even though you're exhausted, you can't stop. It's like an addiction. The one thing that's making you worse, you keep doing. And it's so interesting. It comes so naturally to us that sometimes we don't even notice we're doing it. It's like when you have a nervous tick. Does anyone, does anyone struggle with, with uh, sitting restlessness? When I was in seminary, we had to take a preaching class. And if you think that it's scary to get up and speak publicly, like in your speech class or whatever, imagine getting up in seminary, a room full of people who want to be pastors. You go up, you give a sermon, and they're just going to critique exactly what you said, how you said it, and you're going to cry. Like, that's how it's going to go. So if there's a time when a nervous tick is going to come out, this is the place. I had a classmate. God bless him. He goes up there, and this is a good friend of mine, um, and, and he has shared this story in some of his sermons. Uh, I know. So um, I'm hoping I can share it too. But he gets up there and his nervous tick was, and he's preaching on one of the Psalms. He's preaching this to our class and we're supposed to evaluate him. And as he's going, he's like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his nervous tick was a leg kick. He was so restless. He's like, and so sometimes God just wants us to can you imagine if you're talking to someone, you're trying to impress them, and then you get so nervous that you just go, uh, duh, duh, It's like the worst nervous tick I've ever seen. The funniest part about it, though, is we get done, and, and nobody had the heart to break it to him. So our professor just said, uh, hey, Matt, um, what's with the leg kick? He goes, I kid you not, Matt says, Matt was my roommate in seminary, Matt says, what are you talking about? <laughs> he didn't even notice. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. He, is, he was a gymnast in college, so he could kick his knee up to his face. But he didn't even notice because sometimes restlessness comes so naturally to us. And that's why it is insane that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28 that you heard in the reading tonight, he says this, come to me, all of you who are weary, All of you who carry heavy burdens, you are exhausted. And what you need is rest. He is saying, I'm the only one who can give it to you. I'm the only one who can give you real rest. Real rest. It's hard to buy into that though, isn't it? Okay, sure, I'll rest. But first, what are the things that you have to do before you go to bed at night? Some things are just routine, they're habit, they're healthy. Brush your teeth, floss. People who floss live an average of six years longer. That's science. My dental hygienist told me. I don't know if she was telling the truth or she's just trying to help me out. They're good habits that you have to do before you go to bed, but but what about the other stuff? Like, oh that paper's keeping me up. I, I cannot let it sit oh, I have to sweat out another half pound before I can go to bed. Otherwise, I'm just going to feel gross. Sweat in order to not feel gross, but you know what I'm saying. I don't feel good about myself before I go to sleep. I got to study just a little bit harder. I had a professor in college tell me, he was my design professor, and he told me, he said, you know, there's never going to be a point when you actually get done with the design. There's just a moment when you can walk away. And that's rest. When you have that control, that self-control to say, I, I can walk away from this. This doesn't get to own me, but I know it is so hard. Especially when you're a young adult, the challenge is you've got to go now. You've got to move. You've got to grow. You've got to achieve. You've got to find contentment. There's this uh, ancient Roman poet, Horace, and he wrote one time, no one is content. Seemed like a really pleasant guy to be around, right? Someone comes around and says, I'm having a good day. He's like, no, you're not. <laughs> no one's content, he said. There was a more modern poet who kind of elaborated on some of those thoughts. He said, we're all wrestling with this inner murmur. It's this refusal to stop. And it comes from a life lie. For Ricky Bobby, the life lie was, if you're not first, you're last. But we all have a life lie. The life lie keeps us living in anticipation instead of actually living in the moment. The life lie is this. It is, someday you'll be happy. Someday you will rest. And how many of us believe that to be true? I will rest someday. Because someday I will have time, but now I've got to work. I've got to drag my feet to the classroom. I've got to drag my feet to the weight room. I've got to drag my feet another day because someday, someday I'll rest. It's this life lie that says, if only I get to that place, then finally I will be happy. But the really harsh and rough part about life is you either live long enough with that thing that you finally achieved to realize that it didn't actually satisfy you, or it's taken away. You say, oh, how morbid. I mean, yeah, it's real, but I mean, my goodness gracious, we're human beings. We want to feel, we want to know, we want to think. We don't want to just assume. I mean, seriously, some of the ways that we just deal with this lack of contentment in our lives is by believing this life lie that if we do achieve these things in our life, we'll finally be happy. If I get that internship, which will eventually lead to the job, which will eventually lead to money, which will eventually lead to contentment, then I'll finally be happy. But you ask anybody who has achieved the dream that you're going after, and you find they've still got dreams that they're chasing after too. And so the thing that you thought was going to make you happy instead becomes a burden. It makes you weary and it makes you tired. And you can no longer enjoy that thing that you thought was going to make you happy. I'm wearing white shoes right now. It's hard to enjoy white shoes. Do you know why? Because you're always worried about them getting dirty. And you're like, okay, well, I'll just go get another pair of white shoes once these white shoes get busted enough. Then you put those white shoes on. You're like, "Uh uh a day like tonight where it's, or a night like tonight where it's snows coming down everywhere. You're like, I don't want to get in the mud. So you're like doing this and all over the place and you don't, you can't enjoy it. It's like you don't wear them unless you're walking inside. You walk outside in a blizzard barefoot, and people are saying, what are you doing? I just got to enjoy this. What? And the life lie becomes that's going to make you happy. So you live long enough with it to find out that it didn't make you happy, or you live long enough with it until it's taken away from you. Maybe you just believe it's going to be taken away from you. How many of the relationships in our lives are unhealthy because we are so scared that it's going to go away? Some of the relationships that we get into in our lives turn into burdens. And we think that it's the thing that's going to make us so happy. But the truth is, the entire time you're in that relationship, you're terrified that the person is going to go away. Just think about the things that you used to look forward to, right? Like, when I was uh, an early teen, I was like, man, it's just going to be so cool when I can drive. And then you start to put things to the three-week test. You ever heard of the three-week test? So I'm an early teen. I'm like, oh, I just can't wait till I can drive. I finally get my license. Three weeks later, I'm paying for gas. I get a speeding ticket, and I'm like, is this all there is to life? I'm like, oh, whoa, well, I-, I can't wait to-, to move to college. I can't wait to get out. And some of you guys know, three weeks into college, you're like, oh, I miss my family. Is there more to life than this? I'll tell you what, I was in college, and I thought, well, I just can't wait to graduate. I can get rid of some of these burdens. Three weeks after college, I'm like, I really miss my friends. Is there more to life than this? Maybe eventually you get to that place where you're like, oh, well, if I could just find someone to spend the rest of my life with, if I could find you know, someone to marry me, you know, someone to really commit to me. I did that. I found someone who's agreed to marry me, and three weeks later, she's like, this is, there's got to be more to life than this. <laughs> God bless you, Abby. You know? For me, I'm still believing it. This is it. No. No, we're we're healthy enough. Look, you wanna put a test on the health of your relationships? Are you constantly afraid that it's gonna go away? You might be overdependent. And that's not rest. That's restless. Jesus says, Come to me. I'm the only one you can get it from. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus talks about the other places where people try to get it from. People who try to get it through achievement and success and the dreams. He says this in Matthew chapter 23. He says this about people who have found achievement. He's talking about the religious teachers and the Pharisees, the people who are the uppity-ups of his society. Like the crowds that Jesus is teaching to, Jesus is a religious leader. He's a teacher. And so people are coming to him for spiritual direction. So these people who are coming to him also look up to religious teachers and the Pharisees. These people who knew the law of God so well. And Jesus says this about them: Don't actually follow them. Listen to what they say, but don't follow their example because they crush people with unbearable religious demands and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. They're bringing you burdens. And the reason is because they've made you believe that they're not following a life lie. But the truth is, is they're faking it they're not happy either. They follow the law. They wake up. And on the outside, everyone thinks that they're doing fine. But there's really just self-censorship happening. There's something that happens between here and here and here and here, right? Like before your words get from your head to your mouth, something filters it. Sometimes in the same way, before words get from your heart to your mouth, something filters it. And a lot of times that's so good. Like that's really good until it stops you from being you, until it makes you afraid to be you, and it's restless, you're constantly putting up this facade. Am I living up to the standard? Am I getting close to achievement? Am I fulfilling my purpose? Is my someday getting closer? Is that if only becoming something that I can start to see? So we start to say things, wear things, hang around places, do things, It's not us. And Jesus is talking to people in front of him who have been trying for a lifetime to impress these religious teachers and Pharisees who are dealing with the same insecurities that they're dealing with. If you're caught up in your insecurities and you feel alone because you're worried that someone's gonna find you out, let me tell you this, you're not alone in that. We've all got a life lie that we're dealing with. So Jesus provides the alternative. He says, don't let their burden wear you down. Come to me, take my yoke upon you. He says this. We heard this in the reading tonight, Matthew chapter 28. Take my yoke upon you. Now you can hear that and you can think that Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you, and you focus on the word yoke. Now if you're wondering what the word yoke means, it's because the first time that I read this passage, um, when I heard yoke, I immediately thought of eggs. And I thought, that's interesting. I don't know what it means. Jesus cracks an egg, puts it on your head, and says, you are a Christian. That's, that's not how it works. I oftentimes always think of me and all my weightlifting friends, too, as I've said before. We get yoked in the gym. Um, this is a size small. Um, he says, take my yoke upon you. A, a yoke was, was something that was placed on animals, specifically oxen. And you put two oxen in there. You would put it underneath And they would use this to carry a load. Or sometimes they would use the yoke to bring them along. Now there's a problem with a yoke if you're matched up with something that you can't keep up with. Like you are tied to something, right? Like you're tied to something. And if you're tied to someone who outmatches you, someone who's stronger than you, bigger than you, faster than you, you drag and it hurts. If you are tied up next to someone who's not up to your standards. You drag them and you start to hate them. Anybody here ever been wakeboarding? I learned how to wakeboard when I was working at uh, at Bible Camp. There's a Bible camp here tonight, Camp War Eagle, check them out. Um, but I was working at a Bible camp, um, and I learned how to wakeboard. And this picture makes it look like I got kind of good, right? So this was one of the, yeah, I know, it's you can tell how old I am because that's really grainy, and that was Instagram worthy back in the day. There's a reason why I chose that moment. And if you're like a real wakeboarder, you know like that's, that's not an impressive picture. But, but to me, on my first day of wakeboarding, I'm like, this is big. This is big time. But there's a reason why I chose that specific moment in the pictures to post. Because the next frame would have looked a lot more like this. Because I was attached to something. I was tied to something that was way too fast for me. I launch up in the air, right? And, like, I'm going with the boat. and I'm like, this is so easy. I mean, come on. Everything comes naturally to me. I'm going to fly over the wake here and just go cruising. The problem is friction goes away once you get in the air, you know? And all of a sudden, the board catches, like, the air or something. The board, it's like it became a kite. And so all of a sudden, my legs kick back, and I'm still holding onto the rope. So I have turned into Superman <laughs> over Lake Okoboji. And the boat is still going. You know what happens? 25 miles per hour slam into the water because I was yoked to something that I couldn't live up to. I mean, seriously. Like, it sometimes just hurts us, and it drags us along. You're, like, holding onto this rope in life. You're like, okay, I got a handle on this. I got a handle on this. Got a handle on this. Oh, Lord, have mercy on my soul. And we all get to that place in life where we... Um, we face plant. and it hurts. And maybe what hurts the most is the embarrassment. And then you become restless to fix it. Do you know how many times I got up and tried that again? And do you know how many times I succeeded? It took like two years to succeed. Do you know how many concussions I probably got from that? At least 12. But Jesus says this. He says, my yoke, it's easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Yeah, Jesus wants to be attached to you. Jesus wants to be connected to you. More importantly, he wants you to be connected to him. And he doesn't say, let me drag you from behind the boat. He says, get in the boat. Because we're roommates, we're family, we, we rest. We do life together. And yeah, I saw you fall. No, you can't live up to my standards. Of course not, but I'm the only one You can yoke yourself to who when you hurt me, I'll forgive you. And when you embrace me, I'll satisfy you all the time. I'm the only one. My yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. I've heard a lot of sermons on this in the past where people say, yeah, but it's still a burden. Yeah, but it's still a yoke. So what you need to do is you just need to look at the sin in your life and you need to shoot it in the face. Since when did becoming a Christian have so much to do with the things we're against and not as much about the things we're for? Jesus' yoke is so easy, it is so light, that it eliminates the life lie that those things can still control you, that you're still yoked to it. I know temptation is still very real. I know that the devil, the enemy tries to come into your life, says, no, 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 you're still tied to it. Because the life lie comes from the liar of all, the father of all lies, the Bible calls Satan. To tell you, to trick you, to manipulate you, to think, no, you're still tied to these things. The freedom that God gives you is that you're in the boat and the life lie is sinking to the bottom of the lake. Those things are left behind. How do you defeat those things? How do you finally give up on that, those numbing devices that you've used in the past that only leave you feeling more restless? It's like, oh, yeah, I know I've been restless before, and I've tried to deal with them uh, with all sorts of bad habits, and it hurts, and I keep on going back to them. Now I'm feeling shame. And maybe someday I won't feel shame, and that that will be the day when I can come face-to-face with God. That will be the day when I can enjoy a relationship with him. That'll be the day when I can finally move into him. Lie. That's a lie. The truth is that Jesus today says, Yoke yourself to me. Connect yourself to me. You are free. So, those things that we numbed ourselves with the habits, the addictions, the relationships you are not yoked to those things anymore. You are free. And they are left behind, and that means you no longer have to self-censor. You can drop that self-reproach, that's always embarrassed when the wrong thing comes out. You know, I think one of the reasons why I really like that movie about Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights, is because I grew up an enormous NASCAR fan. Uh, It's a big thing for my family. Um, This, yeah. So this is, this is me uh, with my family at Sears Point Raceway, now Infineon International Raceway was renamed. Uh, this is my dad and me at, uh, my dad and I at, at Charlotte Motor Speedway. This is my family and I at the NASCAR Hall of Fame, uh, which is the headquarters of NASCAR, which is where my brother now works. And that's Jeff Gordon's first ever winning car behind him. And I'm telling you the truth, I cried when I saw it. It means everything to me. Okay, not everything, but it means a lot to me. And I think the reason why I love NASCAR so much is, yeah, because I love like the roar of the engines. I love the thunder that you feel in your chest. And I know there are so many haters of NASCAR. It's not a sport. We can't hear you. The engines are too loud. All right. <laughs> and uh, but I think I love it so much because it's the thing that I went to with my family growing up. Like I, like some kids go out and they they golf with their parents or whatever. Like my my parents took us to NASCAR races and. This one in particular, the bottom left, um, my dad, my mom, and me, we went out there randomly on a weekend um, when I was in college. It's my senior year of college. I came home for a weekend. My dad's like, hey, you want to go to Charlotte? I'm like, yeah. Breaks are really nice from school sometimes. Maybe maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about right now because you're living through young adulthood. And you know that college is not a place that you go to to rest. College is a place that you go to to make it. It's a place where the value or the quality of your work becomes the measure of your worth. So when you can actually go home and be with your favorite roommates, maybe, your favorite roommates, your family, and you can go to those places with them where you can drop that self-censorship, you're not trying to live up to standards anymore. The restlessness is gone. You can actually find that deep inner rest of the soul because it's one thing to sleep, but it's another thing to be an REM sleep. Like, sure, you can sleep eight different times for an hour at a time throughout a day, but you will wake up the next day completely exhausted because you never actually had deep sleep. And so it is with your soul. It can't just be, okay, well, I'm going to stop and do nothing because when I stop and I do nothing, I'm actually now still stressed out about the things that I have to do. No, it's muting that self-censorship. So I come home and, do you want to go to Charlotte? I'm like, yeah, let's go to Charlotte. And I go to this race. And the engines are so loud. I don't have to, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I could scream anything I want. And the people who are next to me, I know they love me. I know they care about me. They're my family. It's as if they have to. Anybody ever get that? Like, you could totally screw up. But you have to love me, right? You know what the really cool thing is when, like, a parent does it right? You could really screw up. I remember how many times I came home way too late growing up. And then the next morning, I still show up to breakfast at the counter. I'm like, hey, mom, you're going to give me food, right? Right? As if to say, like, you have to love me, right? No, she doesn't. She does, though. Hey, Dad, you're going to give me a ride to school, right? Like, hey, Dad, you're going to let me use your car, right? You have to love me. No, he doesn't have to, but he does. See, I'm sitting next to those people, and I can scream at the top of my lungs. At this point, when the greatest race car driver of all time, Jeff Gordon, was still driving. Man, God bless those years. And the self-censorship has dropped. And the self-reproach is gone. Jesus says, you want real inner rest? Come to the one who loves you so much that you might think I have to love you. Come to the one who loves you so much that you'd feel comfortable screaming at the top of your lungs. That you wouldn't be ashamed to get in the boat with after completely wiping out. Come home and rest. Rest. Jesus says this, he says, let me teach you. You've been trying to follow the, the rules and the standards of the religious teachers and the Pharisees, but they're living a life lie too. And Jesus says, now come to me, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. God in the flesh says, I'm humble and I'm gentle and you will find that deep inner REM cycle rest for your soul. And if you're still having a hard time believing in it, maybe it's because you moved away from home and you think that you had to grow up too fast and now you're trying to fake it. Do you know how Jesus starts this teaching? He starts it with a prayer. And it goes like this. He says, Father, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. Thanks for instead revealing them to the childlike. Like the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the law, the accomplished ones, oh, they're wise, they're smart, they're clever, but they don't get this. They're not getting rest. Do you know who gets rest? Maybe you're saying, oh, yeah, Danny, that that rest sounds wonderful. It sounds amazing. I'd love to have it. But how? How do you get it? Become like a child. Slow down. You don't have to grow up so fast. And I'm not saying that in the way that maybe your parents told you, stop growing up. No, no, no. Like, you don't have to be perfect. And you don't have to wait till someday. Jesus says, have the confidence that I love you like a child has confidence that their parents love them. Children, they, they just so... shamelessly ask for help. Excuse me, I don't know who you are. Will you please punch a hole in my juice box so I can get the straw in there? Thank you. And then they believe that you have to love him. morning after, I came home way too late, and I'm sitting down at the counter. Do you think I was easy to love for my parents? We were up till three in the morning, wondering where you were. You weren't answering your cell phone. I show up to the counter, and there's food in front of me. An oblivious teenage Danny had no clue, no clue that that was a choice. I just expected it. But I had rest, and I had peace. Yeah, maybe it takes the humility of a child. But it's a lot better than that eternal inner murmur. It tells you you're not good enough. But you can't rest because you're not worth loving yet. Jesus says, Become like a child notice how he addresses this prayer? He addresses this prayer as God's child. He says, Father. Calling God Father was really important to Jesus. People in the Old Testament before Jesus came, they didn't ever call God Father. I mean, they compared God to a parent, but they would never address him as like, you are my Father. And then Jesus comes in, he says, no, we're closer to than this infinite being who looks down on humanity and judges and, and is disappointed all the time. You're my father. So every single time, except for once, Jesus, when he's talking to God, he calls him father. Love me like I'm your child. He calls him father every single time but once. In the one time when he doesn't call him Father is the reason why you can call him Father and the reason why you can rest. Because the only place where you can truly rest is the place where you can rest your soul and to mute that murmur and to have peace. Jesus said, you will never know what it's, not, what it's like to not be a child of God because when Jesus Christ is on the cross, He doesn't call God father, he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus went into the place of eternal restlessness. God felt that pain. God felt that thing that we're most afraid of, infinite, an eternal restlessness. And he goes there so he can say this to you in Matthew chapter 28 at the end of this book. See, he goes to that place, but he comes out and he's risen from the dead and he says, now be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that life lie that's been telling you If you lose me, you'll be devastated, you'll be disappointed, you'll be crushed. Don't lose me. Jesus says, enough with the lie. Silence the lie. Shut up to the murmur. You'll never lose me. I'm with you always. Because you're family to God. And he's moved in with you. most important instruction I can give you is this. Jesus Christ himself welcomes you to his table. He welcomes you home. He welcomes you to uh, enjoy rest for your soul.